Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Okay, guys, do you like personality tests? Do you take them? Do you take big, important, you know, meaningful ones? Do you take the BuzzFeed quizzes? I mean, they're all fun to me because I want to be defined. I want to figure out how close they can get. I mean, I'll even take like a Marvel superhero quiz. I want to know which house I'm going to be sorted into in Hogwarts. I mean, I think a lot of us know this information. But I just, that's why I never like, I never liked Myers-Briggs. Sorry, Dylan. And he was a fan. He's a fan, he said. I didn't love it because see all of these little options up here? You see them all. There's lots of options. And every time I take the test, there's like two of the four letters that I'm just like right in the middle of. So I can be one of four different boxes up there. I don't want to be one of four boxes. Like I want to know what I am. So I didn't love it because it won't define me accurately. And I think my husband, who you've just interacted with, he hates personality tests, but I think also he just, he just, nothing can define him, right? So that is why I think, but you know what? I still love to take him. I'll take a bunch of other ones because I want to know, like, how close do you see me? What color am I? What animal am I? But you know what? Businesses, they try to use personality tests like this to try to create like a sense of teamwork, And in one group that I was doing contract work with this team, and I've been working with them for a couple of years, and we read through all about the Enneagram. And I did actually like that study together because it ended up giving some language for me to really understand these coworkers better. I mean, there was a couple of people who I was kind of like, why did they make that decision? And and I kind of came across differently than they did. And I started to take it personally, but now when we all talked it out and they were able to find language to identify how they made their decisions, I was like, okay, I can understand you a little better. Not going to take it personally. This is the way your brain works. And it just kind of gave us a common language for that. So I feel like those personality tests, that's what they're there for. That's why we might like them because we want other people to understand who we are, right? Our identity, that's it's important to us. It's important to figure out. It's important to try to communicate our identity to the world. And so today, today we're reading from the book of Luke still. <laughs> Didn't skip anywhere else. We're still in the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 9. And Jesus, he's at this point. He has been spending all this time with his closest followers. They've watched him day in, day out. They have saw him healing people. They see him teaching to the masses. And yet, and yet, people keep having all these rumors. Who is Jesus? People keep making up all of these assumptions about him. Jesus finally looks at his disciples and he asks them a question. So we're going to dig into that today. Luke chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 18. We're still on our journey of the redeemed. And Jesus is just calling us deeper and deeper into our faith, just like he's calling his disciples deeper into their faith. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version today, if you want to follow along. 
It's going to be behind my head too. We've got this first section and it's called Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And I'm going to finally get this here so everyone can hear. Okay. Verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him and he asked them, who did the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Okay, that's a small conversation, but that was a big one, right? Remember last week, we, we took this little peek into between stories, then we heard that King Herod, Herod Antipas, he was hearing these rumors about Jesus. He kept trying to figure out who he was. Same thing that these disciples are saying. Everybody's hearing the rumors. People think that John the Baptist, who the king beheaded, had come back to life. Or they think it's Elijah from, from ancient times come back to earth. Everybody's got these rumors of who Jesus is. But Peter, he senses the truth. He speaks what his followers are starting to figure out. There's something about this man. And we hear this word Messiah, and we've talked about it a little bit before, but sometimes, I don't know, I kind of hear words in church, and they sound like a very churchy word. So let's, let's look back again. What did Messiah mean? What was, this, what was this moment? Why was this important for Peter to come to this conclusion about Jesus's identity? No ancient personality test here. Messiah was predicted for years in the Jewish faith in the Hebrew scriptures to say God would send a chosen one. He would save people. He would redeem Israel. He would be like this, this king and this, this leader. So everybody had their expectations. They, they kind of had a visual in their mind of who this person was supposed to be. But a lot of people had, well, they had a different picture than who Jesus actually was. So therefore, when Jesus came around, he's doing things. He's loving on people. He's having dinner. He's healing. He's speaking a lot. So they're like, let's give him the label prophet. That seems to be Jesus. Well, Jesus was a prophet. Yeah, that he had those qualities. But that was not all. And so this Messiah idea people had in their mind is like, it's going to be very political. It's going to be like a king on a throne, going to war with everybody, making Israel the best in the world. Like that's just their, that was their idea. And Jesus, he didn't look like that, did he? When he's just like bending down and, and helping someone who was wounded. When he had people reach out and touch him in a crowd, you know, that, that, People didn't feel like that was very Messiah-like, not who they expected. But if you look at it, Jesus was trying to indicate here is God's kingdom, and it looks different than the kingdoms of this earth. It's not just physical, it's spiritual. And he came to rescue and to save internally. He was, he was ready, and he was trying to reveal and it was good for his disciples to come to this conclusion and realize, okay, he's different than what we thought, but we're lining it all up. We're looking at scripture and he's doing the things. He's saying the things. Really? I think he's, 
think he's the Messiah. Let's keep reading. Verse 21 in Luke chapter 9. After Peter said this, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Wasn't time. He was glad that they came to this conclusion. Wasn't time to spread it to the masses just yet. And he said this. The son of man, which means like human being, like he's talking about him as a human at this point, must suffer many things. He doesn't get out of suffering just because he's God. He's going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, his followers, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. But what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking plainly here. And and he says in these first verses, like, he's got to be killed and on the third day be raised again. And so it's, he says it so openly that I'm always surprised when I read later that, like, the disciples were so confused when it actually happened. And I'm like, he said the words, guys. But I don't know. Like, have you ever had, like, a, a person you were close to and they, they say things and, and you you think, well, you're just, you're just worried. That's never going to happen to you. Like you're just, you're just worried about something that's never going to happen. And you try to like comfort them or change the subject or deny that that would ever happen. And maybe that's what was in their minds. Maybe they thought, I know he's a prophet and all Jesus, but maybe he's just overthinking it. I don't know. But they were very surprised when all of this actually happens. But verse 23 onward, when he just looks at his disciples and says, this is what it takes you're going to follow me? This is what it really means. And it's like, oh, like, that like hits hard to me every time I read it. Because these are, these are big things. These are sacrificial things. This is like losing your life and taking up your cross. This is big. Now, you might have heard the metaphor. It's like, oh, that's my cross to bear. And maybe somebody says it very lightly or this is where the metaphor comes from, is like a, the literal cross. And, and Jesus' followers, when he first said it, they weren't just thinking of it in a metaphor way. It's like they could look around and see literal crosses by the Romans. Because if someone went against Rome, they made sure that people knew their power. And so if someone was put to death for being against the Roman Empire... They were displayed. They wanted to show other people, don't mess with us. This is what will happen to you. Quintilian, an ancient Roman teacher, writer who influenced rhetoric and literary criticism, he said this about Roman crucifixion. Whenever we crucify the guilty, the most crowded roads are chosen where the most people can see and be moved by this fear. So Jesus is like, his followers can see this on display 
literal crosses. And he says, you're going to have to take up your cross. The thing about crucifixion is that it wasn't just pain and display. It was also like adding insult because they would make a person carry the wood, carry the instrument of death to the spot where it was going to happen and then die on it. There was just a lot going on in this act of crucifixion. And Jesus is saying to his followers, like, you're going to be choosing death. And some of these first 12, those core guys that we're loving and learning about, they're going to be killed because of Jesus, because they believe in him. So this is a moment of not only identifying who Jesus is, but then deciding, are we still on board with that? Are we going to live that out? If we've identified that Jesus is something more than what people realize, that's going to affect our identity. Life lived sacrificially, though. Jesus was trying to say, there's a bigger picture. He's trying to open their eyes wide to say this life is not all there is. When you live sacrificially, you can impact someone else with the message of salvation. When you live sacrificially, it means you're thinking, yes, care for people now. Yes, heal their physical needs. Jesus just taught them last week. Like serve food, care for people's hunger. But also know that, that their souls matter. And that when their hunger on this earth is over, Jesus wants to fill us eternally. He's taking that next step. That message is for us too. We're going to read this last section. Something even more majestic than this conversation happens up on a mountain. About eight days later, we read in verse 28. After about eight days, Jesus saying that, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face, it changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw the glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Peter said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. I like that parenthetical note. While, Jesus, or while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found Jesus was alone, and the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. If you've got your Bible open, there's a, there's a heading here that's called transfiguration. It was always like an intimidating word when I read that in scripture. But it basically just, just means that to, be, to change your appearance. 
and to even like be something more brilliant and spiritual. That's what the Oxford Dictionary says. But that's just a word that's saying that Jesus, something happened. All that glory inside of Jesus, of being the son of God, just like he let it out for a minute. He let it be visible. And three people got to see it. Now, this was an affirmation, surely, of what what Peter had just said. He said, I believe that you're God's Messiah. And he had a moment now to actually see that. It's like everything was confirmed for him. That yes, this was indeed true. I love that they were very sleepy. And that, that glory made them fully awake. Truly. I love the, the, the humanity there. You know, like we're praying on a mountain. There's a lot of praying, a lot of praying. Got a little sleepy. Something big was going to happen. Now, why? Why did Jesus choose Peter, James, and John? Well, we don't fully know, but we can see later in the book of Acts. And we've gone through that book together as Echo Church years ago. And um, we just see the way they became leaders. They matured in their faith. And they led people to follow Jesus after Jesus went back to heaven. And we see that they all died for their faith. And so perhaps they needed just that extra. They got to see something special so they could go and grow and live out their faith and be the leaders they needed to be. Why were Moses and Elijah there? Why the two of them? I love thinking about this question because there's like really cool stuff about Moses and Elijah. They're like the, 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 like the celebrities of the Jewish faith here. We've got Moses, you know, he's the one who said, let my people go and brought the Hebrews out of slavery. He's holding the staff and God's parting the Red Sea in front of him. He's getting those 10 commandments directly from God. Like Moses was a big deal. And then Elijah, he's like the greatest prophet. People keep calling Jesus Elijah, right? Like he's like the standard to set all prophets by. These were amazing people in their faith. They were just humans, but God did some crazy things through them. Awesome things. Now, number two is that they represent something. Moses, we said he got those 10 commandments. He represents the law. And Elijah, he's a prophet. And did you know that the Hebrew scriptures are called the law and the prophets? We're going to just put a few behind me. I'm not going to read through them. But there's examples in Luke and in Matthew and Acts and Romans where God's word is called the law and the prophets. And Jesus right here standing next to the law and the prophet. And he's going to fulfill everything those scriptures say. What a beautiful physical representation of Jesus' purpose on earth. Now the third thing. These guys, Elijah and Moses, they have had their own mountaintop experiences with God. Moses, he would climb up Mount Horeb and he'd have interactions with God. It says that God's presence came down like a cloud, just like we see here. And God, God would communicate with Moses He's trying to prepare this this community to be a nation of Israel. 
He had a lot of conversations with God, but one time Moses said, God, can I, can I see your glory? Like not just a cloud. Can I see you? Can I see your glory? And God said this in Exodus 33, but you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. The Lord said, there is a place where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you can see my back, but my face must not be seen. No one could interact with that kind of glory and live. It was too powerful. Moses got to see his back, but God did come near. Elijah, he spent his life confronting enemies of God. Like that was his job as a prophet. That's that's a lot to bear. His life got threatened. And at one point he was so overwhelmed, he fled in fear, went up that same mountain, Mount Horeb. And he was just devastated. And he cried out to God, I'd rather die. God said he wanted to draw near. In 1 Kings 19, the Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain, in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. There was wind, earthquake, fire, but after the fire was a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah didn't look face to face at God and see his glory, but he got to, he got to feel it, covered his face, and he got to sense God's glory. God drew near. But guess what? Neither of those men, even though they didn't see God's face, they got to stand and look face to face with Jesus. God. They finally got to see that glory right in the face. What an amazing, amazing blessing that must have been. All of their lives spent serving this God. They got to look and see the fulfillment of all their ministry, all their hopes, all their faith. They got to look at Jesus right in the face. That's some glory. But imagine how it felt for Jesus. Like it says that they talked about his departure. His departure. How did he leave earth? What was death? So maybe it was nice for Jesus to just talk to two people and be like, hey, you, you died. Um, can you tell me what that feels like? That's what I would ask. Um, but also to be able to talk in depth like, like this is what it means. Like, look, just feel that encouragement before he went and did this to be like, oh, yeah, this is why it all matters. This is why I'm doing this. I can just imagine the three of them just had such an encouraging time together. Peter, he wanted to like put up a tent, have a little camp out, hang out for a while, but it wasn't meant to be. Okay, so we've read, we've read these stories. Fantastical stories. But they're all just about these disciples having to figure out what do they believe? Jesus was a healer, he was a rabbi, he was a prophet. But he was something more. God said, God said out loud, he's my son, he's chosen. Listen to him. 
But you know what? That that happened here, and we're reading about it. And now we each have to make a decision. How do we answer that question? Who do you say I am? If we're we're reading and trying to figure out what our lives mean on this earth and what does it mean to follow Jesus and just have to grapple with that question, Jesus' question, who do you say I am? It's just getting good. We can't stop, okay? You know, people will generally agree that in history, a man named Jesus lived, and he was an amazing teacher. And he taught good things about caring for the poor and helping the marginalized. But but Jesus didn't just say that's what he was. So we have to look, and we have to ask ourselves, and we have to... We have to step into the unknown and say that we believe he was more. It's what we're being asked. Who do you say I am? God said Jesus was his son. And so then when we read about Jesus, we're also being asked to believe that there's a God who created us, that there's a God who cares about us, that there's a God who came down and sacrificed himself. For us. You know, for some of us, some personality types, it is, it is kind of easy to cling to this mystery. I mean, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. It's, it's mysterious. It's otherworldly. I can't see it. I can't feel it. I can't listen to real words spoken in my ears. But as I said to our small group a couple weeks ago, sometimes faith takes an imagination. I have to imagine what this is like. I had to imagine what Jesus, what Jesus said and did and looked like and interacted with people. And I have to imagine that when I see things happening in the world today, that, that those are God moving, that he's answering prayers, that he cares about us. And for some of us, that's just great to do. I mean, I love, I love stories and I love, I love novels and I love superpowers and magical things. And so, yeah, I would, I want that to be in my faith. I want faith to be something beyond myself. I want to cling to exciting things that I just only see in my, in my mind. I want those to be real. So yeah, I'm going to take that step of faith. But for some of us, like, not having all the facts and not seeing all the details can be like really stressful and disconcerting and disorienting. It can be frustrating. And it's like, why can't I see? Why wasn't I Peter, James, and John? I, I don't get the visual. I don't see a cloud coming down. And I don't know what I'm supposed to believe. And it's very hard because my logical side says that that's a risk and that's not real. And I know, I know some of us and maybe all of us have felt both ways. 
And on some of those days, the doubts, they just, they hover. Who do you say I am? I know. I know that that's, that's not always easy, but it takes faith. And faith is things that we don't see. Hebrews 11 says, what then is faith? It is what gives assurance to our hopes. It is what gives us conviction about things we cannot see. I just, I want to talk to you if it's hard right now to believe. And I just want to say, I get it. I've had those moments. I try to push through and trust anyway, but I know that's not as easy for some of us as it is for others. And I don't want you to feel alone. If you're having doubts and questions and you think, I don't know who Jesus is, then stick around, Echo. Well, we're all about that. We're about figuring Jesus out together. We're about living this journey of faith. This, that's why we're calling it this journey. It's not always easy. It's sometimes it's like, it's like trying to walk up an icy hill in Cincinnati after an ice storm. It just doesn't feel always solid ground. But we're doing that together. And we at Echo Church, we don't, we don't put on just a smiley face. We're like, here's our down days. Here's our days of doubt. But we're in it together and we're not letting go. Together, we can take one more step forward. Jesus is later going to say, like, just, just as faith as small as a mustard seed can do wonders. Some days that feels like maybe all we have. We're trying to identify Jesus and we're like, I have like this much of an inkling of understanding who Jesus is. Jesus is like, that's great. Let's start there. We say the same. That's great. Let's start there. And we pray that that seed will grow. But the thing is, we're not, we're, we're just called to, to step in, to take a chance. And yes, as we determine Jesus' identity, it's going to affect our own. Those words about taking up a cross, that's for us too. It is saying yes to a life of sacrifice, but that's, that's what's beautiful in this world. Living for someone outside yourself, living for a time beyond today, takes imagination, it takes faith, but it's worth it. Jesus says, he asks, who do you say I am? And I like the way theologian N.T. Wright sums it up. He said, we too often find it completely bewildering to know how to understand all that God is doing, all that he's saying in our times of great joy and our times of great sadness. But the word that comes to us, leading us on to follow Jesus, even when we haven't a clue what's going on, that's the word that came from the cloud on that strange day in Galilee. This is my son, the chosen one. 
Listen to him. That's why we're here. We're, we're just trying to listen and take a next step of faith. Thank you for being with us. Whatever your step is right now, you're not alone. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for revealing yourself to us and for letting us grapple, letting us wonder, letting us keep asking questions. You're not afraid of that, and we thank you. Thank you for the times you reveal things. Thank you for the, the moments we feel that we can grow a little bit more, take one more step of faith. Thank you for bringing us together. We're not alone. We thank you, Lord. You asked, who do you think I am? Keep showing us, and we'll listen. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.